Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Today I want to share a message with you. It's called What's Love Got to Do With It? Now, personally, I love a good top 10 list, right? Anybody else? I mean, the saddest, probably the saddest I've ever been about a TV show going off the air was when David Letterman went away. Not because I thought everything else he did. Like, you stay up and watch the top 10 list and then go to bed. I didn't care about any of the rest of the mess that was on there. But he always had a good top 10 list, right? The thing about a good top 10 list is they didn't originate with Dave. God had the original top 10 list, right? In typical human form, what we did was we took God's top 10 and added about 455 other rules to go with it to try to uh, make it fit what we needed it to be. Sounds a lot like the laws of our country, right? Started out with the, you know, the, the Bill of Rights, and then we just keep adding to it. To Today, you have no idea what's, that's a different story for a different day. We'll get there later, maybe one of these days. Uh, God's original top ten list, though, had to do with how we treated each other and how we responded to God. So in the course of Exodus chapter 20, we see where God lays out his top ten. If you've got your Bibles, flip to Exodus 20. If you want to stick a marker over in Luke 7, we'll get there in a little while. Um, But in the course of Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, God gives his ten commandments. And we're going to look at them, but we're going to skip the intermediary um, uh, explanations that went with it in Scripture and just see the top ten. Beginning in verse number 1 of Exodus chapter 20, it says, Then God spoke all of these things. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself. Skipping on down to verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. I would love to spend a whole lot of time just talking about that one. Because we've summarized that command to be one phrase. And I think there's a whole lot more that goes to misusing God's name. But we'll deal with that on another day. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. On down to verse 13, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. And number 10, verse 17, do not covet. Ten things, ten things that God gave us, ten simple rules, ten simple guidelines, ten simple commandments that when applied to our heart, when applied to our lives, our lives are much better. We see growth in every area, in every relationship of our lives, not just some, But all of them, every single one, it's amazing that when we kind of get back to just breaking things down to the very basic essence of it, that we see that everything works better. And when you apply these top 10, God's top 10 to our lives, what we see is that we treat people better and we honor God out of a pure and devoted heart. Today, though, I want to spend time looking at one of them and working backwards from it. Working backwards from it. Verse number 13, do not commit murder. I know it's possible because I made it home from camp and every kid was still alive, including my own. Now, I do want to say about this that it does not say do not kill. If you read it in the King James, it says that, but that translation honestly is just poor, and I'm not saying that because of my own um, uh, uh, educational perspective, but that every theologian out there would tell you that it should read do not murder. Murder means that you take a life that you don't have the authority to take. I don't have the authority to take that. 
to take that. But there are times, even in the Old Testament, that God sent his people into war. Uh, there were times, and there's still times, that somebody maybe in law enforcement or in the military was required to use deadly force for public safety. It was God who instituted the very first capital punishment. But it always had to do with the intent of the heart. God never responded. And we'll see it a little bit later as we get into this a little bit more. Uh, let's look at it from this perspective. We're free today because people went to war and fought for our freedom so that we could sit in a church house like we have today and worship God freely. And still today, people defend that freedom. Uh, sometimes that requires unfortunate acts to happen, but the Bible specifically deals with how that works. So today, I want us to look at it from this perspective. What's love got to do with that? What's love got to do? How does this work? I want us to see, and we're going to see in just a few minutes, and the Bible verifies and proves this out, that, that murder is linked to hate. You can't get away from it. In fact, 1 John 3.15 says this. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Hate and murder are linked together. Jesus summed it up this way, and he said that you could summarize all of the, the commandments, all of the, uh, the prophets, everything in the Old Testament on two things, to love God and to love others, right? Love God and love others. So when we talk about don't murder, you shall not murder, thou shalt not. I'm not really worried about any one of you committing murder. All of your children are still alive. I mean, that's a big testimony. If nothing else, your brother or your sister is still alive for crying out loud. I'm not really worried about you committing murder. I heard a lady one time after they were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary, and one of the, the people at the, at the ceremony said this. They said, hey, have you ever considered, over 60 years, did you ever consider divorce? And the lady said, no, not ever, not once. Not a single time did I ever consider divorce. Murder? That's a different story. Right? That was a little too loud. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> Again, I'm not worried that any of you are going to commit murder. That's not the point. But I want us to all understand that there's a path that our sinful nature wants to travel that will take us down a road that is unimaginable and leads to things we never thought that we could ever do. We all have this ability inside of us to do those things we swore we could never, ever do. And today I want to talk about the path that leads down that road. Now, before we get too far into this, let me make a point. I, I don't have three points today. I have five. I'm not going to multiply time. If you have a roast in the oven, you're going to be just fine, okay? But I want to, I, I want to quickly work through these first three points to set up the next two because it's really important that we catch the process. So if, if murder is the climax, it's the end of the road that we're talking about, what is it that precedes murder? Hate. Hate precedes murder. I'm going to prove it to you in the Bible. This is the story of Joseph in Genesis 37, verses 4, and 4, 5, and 18. It says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And you skip on down to verse 18, and it says, and they saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Why? Because they hated him. Because they hated him. Let me show you again in Deuteronomy chapter 19. 
Verses 11 and 12, it says, But if someone hates his neighbor, lies in ambush for him, attacks him and strikes him fatally and flees to one of these cities, then the, the elders of this city must send for him, take him from there, and, the, and hand him over to the avenger of blood, and he will die. In other words, this is capital punishment instituted by God. He murdered him. How do we know that he murdered him? Because it says that he hated him. He hated him and he murdered him. It's, it's really simple. Hate leads to murder. But Joshua 20 verse 5 separates the two, okay? It says that if the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not hand, hand the one who committed manslaughter over to him, for he killed his neighbor accidentally and did not, take, did not hate him beforehand. So they knew that you murdered somebody if you hated them. If you hated them. Again, I'm not worried that you're going to commit murder. But I am worried about the pathway that gets there and us getting ensnared in it. So hate precedes murder. What precedes hate? Anger. Anger precedes hate. Before you hate somebody, you get angry at them, right? Anybody ever been there? You been angry? Been frustrated with somebody? If you let that stew and you just keep it there, eventually it'll turn into hatred. The Bible says that the very first murder was because of anger. Let's look at Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious. He was angry. And he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Why? Because he was angry. Because he... Let that develop into hatred. Why was he angry? Here's the thing. Anger's an emotion. Have you ever been angry at somebody? Raise your hand. If you've been angry, I, I'm raising, I would raise both hands and both feet if I could. I've been angry at times. The Bible says that anger is an emotion. You can be angry and sin not. Just because you got mad, just because you got angry, doesn't mean that you have to allow that sin to entrap you. The Bible, in fact, says that you can be angry and don't sin, don't give in to it. Anger alone is not a sin. There have been plenty of times I've been angry at my doctor for what he told me. Right? There have been plenty of times I've been angry at, at other things, but anger of itself is not the sin. It's what you do with it. It's what do you do with it. Have you ever known somebody who, who had a tendency to blow up on people? Let me, let me rephrase it. Have you ever had a tendency or, or in the past ever blown up on somebody? I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand. Here's the thing. Every, about every day, every other day, at home, I put on a pot on the stove to make tea. Sometimes I get distracted because it's not a teapot, right? You know, the whistles. It's a regular pot because I want more water than a teapot can hold. And I put it on there, and I put it pretty full, and I put tea bags in it, and, we, and we, uh, we, we, I do it that way. Well, if I get it too full, by the time it hits boil, it boils over. One time, I was way too tired to have been trying to make tea. I put the stove on the pot, turned the heat, turned the fire on with no water in it. Don't look at me like you've never done something so stupid. Go back in there ready to make the tea and realize 
there's no water. Those tea bags get really charred. It was that kind of bad, right? Here's the thing. Same thing applies. If anger, if you're full of anger, when the heat gets turned on, you boil over. You spill over into it. But if there's nothing there because you've dealt with the anger, you've resolved what it is that's going on inside of you, then there won't be anything there to boil over. We're all going to have the heat turned up on us in life, but we've got to get past that. We've got to not allow the unresolved anger to be there so that there's nothing to boil over. That way, anger doesn't turn to hatred, doesn't turn to murder. But anger's a big deal, but what is it that proceeds and gets us to that point? So hate precedes murder, anger precedes hate. What is it that precedes anger? An offense. Offense precedes anger. Cain was offended at God because he accepted Abel's offering and not his own. He was offended at God. How, how is it that you, you have regard for Abel, but you don't have regard for me? I brought you an offering as well. He was angry. Jesus talked about that, that people were going to be offended, that offense was going to come. In fact, in Matthew 24, 10, he said, then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Offense, anger, you betray people that you're angry with, and you hate one another. There's a process there. In Mark 6, he's, uh, verse 2 and 3, it says that when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Now, astonished is not a good word, and I'll get to it in just a second. They said, where did this man get these things, they said? What is the wisdom, what is this wisdom given him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. They were offended. Why? Because they, they were astonished. Astonished, I told you, is not a good word. Astonished means to strike to hit someone, to expel by a blow, to drive out or drive away. As Jesus taught, they got angry and they said, this dude's a carpenter. They were mad. How does this guy get so smart when he just built us a deck last week? Where is it that he gets the ability to perform these miracles when he made our dining room set a month ago? How is it that he has this ability? They were offended. And because they were offended, they wanted to, they were astonished. They wanted to expel him. And it goes on and tells us in Luke 4 what happens in another moment like this. Luke chapter 4, Jesus walks into the temple. He sits down, grabs the scroll from Isaiah chapter 61, where it's written to read. And he says this when they heard this, verse 28, after Jesus reads it, he sits down. And says, what you've heard has been fulfilled in your ears. Verse 28 says, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. What's another word for enraged? Angry. They were angry. They got up, drove him out, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. They were offended that he taught this way. They were angry. They were angry, and they tried to kill him. So hate precedes murder. Anger precedes hate. Offense precedes, uh, an offense is preceded by anger. What precedes an offense? Here's where we want to hunker in for a little while. Unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations precede offenses. If you got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in 18 
We're going to look at this story of Jesus and John the Baptist. In verse 18 it says, that Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples. Now, uh, let, me, let me just pause right here for a second. John, this John is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. The same John the Baptist that was, bat, was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother's womb when Jesus, who was in his, in his mama's womb, came in. Mary and, and, and John's mama, they get together to have a, a family get together, and John gets filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the same John who saw Jesus uh, coming down the road while John was baptizing people, and he said, look, there's the one. He's the Son of God who's coming to take away the sins of the world. That's the one. This is the same John the Baptist that just a little bit later, after he's baptized Jesus, who says uh, in John 3.30, he says that I must decrease that he may increase. Why did he say that? Because just a little while before that he baptized him, some time passes, a couple of his, his disciples come to him and say, you know that guy that you baptized? Well, listen, John, he went down the road, he started a church, and he's baptizing way more people than you are. His church is growing like you would not believe. And what was John's response? He must increase, I must decrease. He's the one. He's the one. That's what he kept telling them. He's the one. So now here in Luke chapter 7, he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Before that, that's the one. He's the one. Now he's saying, are, are, are you really the one? Is it really you? I'm not sure anymore. I'm kind of confused here. Are you, are you the one? Is, is it really you? What changed was that John's now in prison for telling everyone that Jesus is the one. And now, not just is he in prison, but Jesus is in the same city holding a meeting. He's there. He's healing people. They've heard stories. They've heard uh, things that were happening. Uh, he's in the same place that John is in prison. And what happens? Jesus didn't even answer their question at first when they come and ask him, are you the one? He doesn't answer that at all. Instead, he just starts healing people. Look at verse 22. It says, that Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. Think about this for just a second. Your cousin's in jail... You've been there for a while. People are being healed. Miracles are happening. All kinds of stuff is going, to, going down, right? And your last thing that you tell the disciples to go back and tell them is blessed as anybody who's not offended because of me? John's in prison for saying Jesus is the one. And now Jesus is in the same city and doesn't even have time to come visit him in jail. I think John's, John's discussion with his disciples probably went something like this. Now, wait a minute. Jesus is here. In this town, how long has he been here? Seven days? Surely not. He's been here seven days and hasn't come to see me. A full week. When, are you sure he got here before the Passover? Are you sure he got here before the Sabbath? Nah, seven days and he's not come to see me? Really? People are being healed? Are we sure he's still the one? Did you tell him that I'm in, in jail? Did you tell, it's cousin John, 
not that other joker that's running around with him, but it's his cousin is in jail for telling people about him? Are you sure you told him it was me? Jesus doesn't, doesn't answer. He just starts healing people, telling them, and then tells his disciples, go back and tell them what you've heard and seen. And oh, by the way, blessed is he who doesn't get his feelings hurt. Blessed is he who doesn't get his feelings hurt. Why? Because John had expectations. He's the one. He can get me out of this mess. He could get me out of prison. He could save my life. There's unmet expectations there. We have this happen all the time in our lives. Unfulfilled expectations cause offenses. We have these expectations that someone's going to do something, and when they don't, we get offended, right? It happens in our workplace, we have an expectation that our boss is going to do something. We're going to get that promotion. We're going to get that raise. And then when it doesn't happen, what happens to us? We get offended. What happens when we, we feel like some spiritual leader, some evangelist, some pastor doesn't do what we thought they were going to do? What happens? We get offended. Sometimes we get offended over really silly things, like, like, like at the last 50-plus dinner. Uh, you know, Maybe you made a cake, and you brought it, and, and, and while you're there, you're thinking, well, you know what, oh, Jenny, she didn't say anything about my cake. And your husband says, well, did you even tell Jenny that you made that cake? No, but she should have known. How is it that she didn't know that I made that cake and she should have had some? That should have been the first one that she got off that table, not that one that sister so-and-so brought. Right? We, we, sometimes it's over silly things. Sometimes it's things that everyone in the world would think, that, that's kind of a silly reason to get offended. You're offended at them for not doing something you didn't tell them you wanted them to do. We do that. Here's the thing. The Greek word for offense is this, a stumbling stone. That's the definition for the Greek word, a stumbling stone. The Greek word for offense is scandalon. Let me run that back by on a slow horse and just catch the first part, scandal. Scandal. Scandalon is a word that's used to de define varying things. Like, for instance, when I was a kid, my hunting skills were not very good. In fact, my dad and my brother, we, we would go hunting as a kid. We'd go dove hunting. We'd go quail hunting. Not much deer hunting when I was a kid because, well, it was way too early and way too cold and we weren't having it. But every September the 1st, my dad would find a, uh, some wheat field or corn field had been plowed and we'd end up walking down the sides of it dove hunting. One time my dad wounded a dove there it is on the ground. He, I, I'm, I'm little. I'm carrying a BB gun. And from about eight inches away, I still couldn't hit the thing. If I had a shotgun right here today, I'm not sure I could hit that brick wall. It's just not for me. Now, when we lived in Colgate when I was a real small boy, when mom and dad would go out of town for ministers' meetings or various things, we would stay with our friends, the Ringles, and they lived on about uh, 220 acres. They had cattle, they had three-wheelers, this is before you had four-wheelers, and we ran those three-wheelers off into every pond they had. They would pull them out, they'd rebuild them, we'd get in big trouble and have to, you know, clear the field of rocks or something really ridiculous, but that's what we'd have to do. They had dog kennels, we'd have to wash those kennels out, it was terrible, right? But we would go out and we would set traps for the coyotes, because they didn't want the coyotes to get their calves. So we'd go out and we'd set these traps. Well, they had really nice traps, right? You know, like the ones that you go into and it snaps shut, you ain't getting out. Or it would snap closed and, you know, see if the coyote would chew his leg off. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happened. This was a long time ago before PETA ever became a thing. 
So I go back into the city where I live, which it's Colgate. It's not a very big town. If you blink more than once, you're definitely going to miss it. I go back into town and think, you know what? That neighbor's cat's driving me crazy. I'm going to trap it. Let's see if it'll chew its leg off like the coyotes do. So I'd get a box because I didn't have one of those really nice expensive traps, and I was too afraid to set it that it'd get my hand caught in, and I'd have to chew my hand off to get back to town, right? So I'd take a box, and I would prop it up. I would take a stick and put it under the corner, right? And if you got a good stick that had a Y in it, you could put it right in the middle. And then you'd find something you'd think that cat would want. You'd put it underneath there and watch to see if the cat was going to run into it. Here's the thing. Traps come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. But one thing remains the same, and that's the scandalon. It's the stick that triggers the trap to fall in place. You know what the devil does? He sets a trap, and he puts a scandal in your way, waiting on you to bump into that stick so you can be ensnared by the trap that he's laid. The stick is the scandalon. Satan sets a trap for us. It's a little scandal, a little offense that draws us in, and we find ourselves ensnared by it. But thank God that, uh, that Psalm 91 says that he will set us free. He will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. He's not going to leave you in there, but you've got to ask him to help you get out. You've got to recognize that you are ensnared. A lot of times we actually give Satan the scandal on because we'll say things like this. Well, if they ever did that to me, I could never forgive him for that. If she ever did this, I could never get over that. You know what we just did? We gave the devil right then and there. He doesn't need to look for any other, any other thing to entrap you. He quits worrying about it. He says, you know what, I know how to ruin their marriage. All I have to do is the one thing she said she'd never be able to get over. All I have to be able to do is set the one scandal that will keep him from ever being able to move on. And next thing you know, we're ensnared. We're drawn in and we're entrapped. And how did that happen? We handed the devil the stick to trap us with. You know, the Bible talks about a stumbling block or, 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 or a stepping stone. There's actually somebody in the Bible who was called the stumbling block or the rock of offense. Anybody want to guess who it was? Jesus. That's exactly right, Jesus. Romans 9.33 says, As it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Here's the thing. Jesus is either going to be a stumbling block or uh, a, a rock to build your house, or a stone to stumble over. He's either going to be a rock to build your house on, or a stone to stumble over. If somebody offends you, what happens? They've left a rock right in your path. And when it comes to it, when you come to it, you can either stumble over it, or you can choose to step over it, or you can choose to pick it up. A lot of times we pick them up. Kind of works like this. We, we hear old, old, old Brother Bill telling us a story about what happened to him and, and how offended he was because this or that happened. And he's got a hold of this offense. And you ask him, well, Brother Bill, how long ago did that happen to you? Oh, it's been 35 years. You've been offended. You've allowed this stumbling block to be in your life for 35 years. Let go, man, and move on. Forgive and move past it. It's time to let go of the stumbling block. 
It's time to let go of the offense. It's time to let go of what's holding you back. It's time to move beyond that. Because see, all it takes is one little offense that leads to an unmet expectation, that leads to anger, that leads to hatred, that leads to murder. We, we don't immediately run to the worst of the worst. It starts with the little things. It starts with a little scandal here and there that sucks us in and keeps us held hostage by it. We've got to let it go. We've got to move on. We've got to quit allowing those things to hang on to us when we could choose to let it go. We've talked about what precedes murder. But what precedes love? What's love got to do with it? What precedes love? Forgiveness. Forgiveness precedes love. Let me show you in Matthew 5. Verse 43 and 44, it says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, that's where Jesus gets really good. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you love somebody who hates you or is your enemy? How, how, how do you love that person? Simple. Forgiveness. Forgive. Let me show you how hate leads to murder and, and forgiveness leads to love in one story in the Bible. Genesis chapter 27. In Genesis 27, 41, it's the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob has, has stolen the birthright that was given to Esau, and here we are in verse 41. It says that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I'm going to kill my brother. Hey, how many of you have ever thought that? You know what? I'm going to get past this for a little while, but the day's coming that I'm going to get even. Man, let's be honest. I've thought that. You know what? One of these days, that joker big-headed brother of mine is going to get his. You know, maybe it's not about a family member. Maybe it's about somebody that did you wrong. Maybe you're, we, we hold on to it like this. You know what? One of these days, that uncle who touched me where no one should have ever touched me is going to pay a price. One of these days, they're going to get theirs. Jacob flees, runs from Esau because he knows that he's stolen what was not rightfully his and that his brother wants to kill him. It was apparent to everyone. But later, Jacob decides to come home. He comes back. In fact, it was 20 years later. 20 years now, for some of you teenagers, you're thinking, that's a long time, right? I mean, 20, I'm 13 years old. How am I going to wait 20 years for that? Some of us are thinking, 20 years? I wish I could go back 20 years. I'd be starting my, high, my senior year in high school. This would be a good year to be alive, right? If I knew then what I know now, I'd be a really wealthy man by the time I got to my age, right? We, we, we start to think all these different things. 20 years changes a person. Esau... Is, is in his area with his people in his land. Jacob is in his area and his people in his land, and Jacob decides, you know what, it's time to come home. 20 years later, Genesis 33, 1, the story picks up and says, Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. 400 men. Now in the next few verses, it tells how Jacob split up his family and who he put out front. It's kind of like, hey, listen, if they're going to attack us and people are going to die, you're dying first. That's really the way it kind of lays it out. But verse number four tells a different tale. It says this, but Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
Then they wept. How in the world does that happen? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It happens because Esau had forgiven Jacob for what he had done. Now, if I were going to add a sixth point, it would be this. But what, what precedes forgiveness? It would be grace. Grace. Grace is what precedes it. But how do you give grace? You have to first receive it. In Matthew 10, verse 8, it says that you have freely received. You have received free of charge, so give free of charge. Here's the dilemma, and I want to get right where some of us are living. If you feel like you have to earn God's forgiveness, you'll make others earn your forgiveness. But if you catch grace... Oh, if you understand that Jesus has already accomplished it and he's paid a price for you that you could never have repaid and he did it before you ever knew you needed to ask, if we ever catch grace, we'll quit making people pay the price to earn our forgiveness and we will freely give the same way that Jesus forgave. We've got to be able to freely give it. We've got to freely give it. What does forgive mean in the Greek? In the original language, it's also translated this way. Release. What did Jesus do with us? He said, you know what? If you call on my name for forgiveness of your sins, I'll release you from the debt that you owe. Come on, folks. It's time to release some people. It's time to release someone in your life. See, when you've been for, when you've forgiven somebody, you don't have to tell them. Now, if, it, if you're, it's a family thing and you're all in it together, I, I get it. You know, you need to work that out. That's great. But, but I've had people do this. Pastor Mike, you've had people do this. They come to you and they say this. Pastor, I just, I just need, you, need you to know that I forgive you. Well, now don't we both feel better? I didn't know you was offended in the first place. Right? <laughs> I remember that. You, you, we've had those moments, baby, where people come to say, listen, I was really offended when you did this, and I just want you to know I forgive you. And we both kind of look at each other and we're like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about, but praise the Lord. And then you go home and try to figure out what it was. Listen, if you're going to forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you have to tell them that you've forgiven Just release them. Quit holding them hostage in your own head. Quit saying, I'm going to keep you here because of what you might have done to me or you might have meant ill. Release them. Move on. Forgive them. Move past it. We've got to let it go. You know, the, the other thing about forgiveness, you don't forgive people who have done you right. Right? You know, if somebody says, here, here, Pastor, I made you these cookies. I don't say forgive you. Right? I say thank you. That's, we don't, you don't forgive people unless they've done you wrong. That's inherent. But you know what? God would look at you and say, forgive them. Let it go. Quit allowing them to live in your head rent-free. Move on. We've got to forgive. We've got to move past it. Again, I'm not concerned that you're going to go out and commit murder. That's not my concern. My concern is that we stay entrapped or ensnared by all of these other things that we allow the scandal on, that we hand it to the devil. Stop doing that. If Jesus has forgiven you, you can forgive too. Be willing to move on. Don't allow the, the path that this all is on to hold you back and ensnare you. Move on. 
So today, before we put into practice by receiving communion and being reminded that we've been forgiven and that freely we've received, before we get to that, every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, Pastor, you know what? And you're hitting me right where I'm at. And today I need to accept Jesus. I've got sin in my heart. I've allowed sin in my life. I've allowed it to separate me from God. And today I want to confess and repent and let that out. If that's you, would you slip up a hand right where you're at? If you've allowed sin in your heart, separating you from the Lord. Anybody here this morning, okay? You can put your hands down. Anybody else? All right? Anybody else? All right? Secondly, still head bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you've been ensnared by an offense, and today you want the Lord to help you forgive, to release them, whomever that may be, for the wrong that they did. Today's the day. If that's you, will you slip up a hand? And you want to let the, let the trap go? Yeah. Here's what I'd like everyone to do. I'd like everyone to stand all across the room. I'd like all of us to pray this prayer together as family. Mean it from the bottom of your heart. Mean it from the bottom of your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you for your forgiveness. I ask you to let your grace be mine, to wash away my sins, to make me clean. Jesus, I ask you today, help me to forgive, to release those who've harmed me, and to let it go. to freely give what you have freely given me. Help me today, Jesus. In Jesus' name.